What's going on, everyone? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 140 of the Adult Education Podcast. Happy New Year to all of you. Let's kick off the year with a conversation with Dr. Michael Greger. Thanks for checking out the show. I appreciate you sharing some of your day with me. If this is your first time listening to the Adult Education Podcast, I just want to say welcome to the family. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the show so you're updated for all future episodes. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a nice rating or review, I'd appreciate that too. If you want to connect with me, the best way to do that is through Instagram. We are at Adult Education Podcast. You can see when new episodes are posted and you can DM me with any comments, questions, and suggestions for future topics or guests. I always love to hear from people that listen to the show. So I hope your new year is off to a good start so far. I would like to start this episode out by apologizing for my disappearing act at the end of the year. I didn't plan to take the month of December off, but a series of schedule changes and just life got in the way. I kind of had to prioritize my family and some other things, and that meant putting the podcast on the back burner. So I do apologize again for not sharing some episodes at the end of 2023. I did run my Spotify rap stats for the show, and I got some really interesting and exciting numbers, I think. In 2023, this show saw a 78% increase in listeners. So thank you again to everyone who checked out an episode or two or more. The data also showed me a bit about how much some of you were listening. Apparently, the Adult Education Podcast is the top podcast for 55 people, which I just think is amazing that 55 people out there, this is the number one podcast that you listen to. The show is in the top five for over 200 of you and in the top 10 for nearly 350 of you. So I can't I can't thank you enough. I really can't uh, for listening. It just means so much. I've said this before on the show. This podcast is a passion project for me. I don't make any money off of it. I do it out of the love of conversation and for sharing some knowledge and information. So it really means a lot that you'd take time out of your day to check it out and spend some time with me. All right, on to today's business. Since we always hear about how the start of the new year is when people want to get healthy, I thought it would be best to share a conversation about how we can do just that. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Greger. He's the author of a few different books, most notably the book How Not to Die, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. But today, we're discussing his latest effort titled How Not to Age, the scientific approach to getting healthier as you get older. Now, I don't know about you, but I've hit that age in my life where I'm starting to think about my longevity. I know it's kind of weird and almost depressing in a way, but I want to live as long as possible so I can enjoy life with my daughter and my family. But I don't just want to live long. I want to enjoy that life. I want to feel good while aging. Dr. Michael Greger has been getting all kinds of praise over the years for his work, and now I see why. The book is full of great and easy-to-follow information, and this conversation turned out to be just a real treat for me. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Greger. Hey. hey, hey. <laughs> How are you? I am doing good. How you doing? I am great. I am uh, currently watching and hoping that my daughter will stay asleep for a little while longer here during okay. her nap time. <laughs> we'll whisper really quietly. <laughs> On any given day, she will nap for four or five hours if I let her. But inevitably, every day that I schedule an interview during her nap time, it's like 45 minutes. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, so glad that you got some time to talk with me today because uh, I've been hearing your name for quite a long time, and I, I have yet to read one of your books until this latest one came across my oh. desk, and that's oh, How Not to Age. Yes, people have told me about How Not to Die for so long, and it's one of those books I've had on my list but just have not gotten around to. I apologize. But How Not to Age came across, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is something as ever since I became a dad three years ago, that is all I think about is how yeah. I don't want to be an old dad. Like I want to play sure. with my kid. I want to be active. All of that. 
How about play with your grandkids, your great-grandkids? Let's do it. Yeah, and that too. I mean, I I never, and I don't know if you have kids, I'm not sure about your full backstory, but I never thought about aging. I never thought about what that was going to look like for me. The second she entered the world, it was like, wow, the clock is ticking and I need to do everything I can to be as healthy as humanly possible. Right, you want to sprint her down that that wedding aisle? Absolutely. No, no, yeah. No, I'm glad. You know, and too often times, what does it for people is some kind of dreaded diagnosis. Mm. The only reason they, they start thinking about their mortality because they just got you know diagnosed with high blood pressure or diabetes or something. I like your way better, <laughs> uh, but whatever it's going to do to motivate people. And look, the good news is we have tremendous power over our health, destiny, and longevity. The vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a healthy enough diet and lifestyle. And that's something that's really interesting. I think it's so important to mention because I think the mindset that so many people have is that we just get old and we can't control these things and everything's going to you know, get worse every year that we get older. But that's not necessarily true. Like, yes, sure, the body does wear in certain areas and certain ways, but like, uh, it doesn't have to be that way exactly. Yeah, there's lots of parts of aging. You know, when, I, when starting this book, uh, that were really surprising to me in terms of things that you just expected or were taught that were inevitable consequences of aging, like, you know, your blood pressure just kind of goes up as you get older or, you know, age-related hearing loss or something. But then you learn, wait a second, there are populations around the globe that don't have an increase in uh, blood pressure as you get older. 70-year-olds, same average blood pressure as 16-year-olds, perfect at 110 over 70, or populations where they don't experience age-related hearing loss. So it's like, wait a second, okay, what is it about how they're eating or how they're living that is able for them to forestall these kind of diseases that we see rife in the Western world? And I love how much you study all of those ins and outs, and you don't just rely on the questions that we ask older people, like, what's your secret to being 110 years old? And they're like, whiskey and cigarettes. And everyone goes, okay, we can drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's right. Right. It's critically important to actually stick to the science. And that's what we have these blue zones for, these Mm. areas of exceptional longevity around the world where they share some kind of common lifestyle characteristics like movement, stress reduction, social connection. But uh, probably most importantly is they're centering their diets around whole plant foods. So they're minimizing processed foods, meat, dairy, sugar, eggs, salt, maximizing fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes like the beans, split peas, chickpeas, and lentils, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, mushrooms, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. And food like that, it's not like it's brand new. I mean, these plants and vegetables have been around forever. Why is it that the conversation around the importance of a maybe heavier plant-based diet doesn't have to be fully plant-based, but more plants, more fruits, more fiber. Why is it that the conversation surrounding that seems to have really only picked up in maybe the last 10 years? I mean, when I was going through school, that wasn't a conversation. It was meat and potatoes, drink your milk, and that was it, you know? Right, right. Well, you know, it's it's unfortunately the healthiest foods are the least profitable foods, mm. right? Fruits and vegetables are perishable. They go bad. They rot on the shelf. What you want is a snack cake that sits on the shelf for a few weeks or even better, shell, sell, you know, brown sugar water in a bottle. It's like pure profit, taxpayer subsidized sugar. And so, you know, it's not like the, you know, uh, CEOs of these, uh, you know, soda companies sitting around thinking, how can we contribute to the childhood obesity epidemic? They're saying, how do I satisfy the next quarterly earnings for the shareholders? Mm. And if they don't think that way, they'll be booted out and replaced by another CEO that will. 
And so it's just the system is just set up with these bad incentives. I mean, there's a reason we don't see ads on the Super Bowl for, you know, sweet potato. It's just like, that's, it's just, it's, it's not even a branded product. Even a sweet potato farmer is not going to pay for an ad for sweet potatoes. You'll just buy their competitor's sweet potatoes. I mean, the system is just not set up to value the healthiest foods. And so these corporations don't necessarily have the interests of our family, you know, at heart. And so we have to kind of take control of our own, you know, uh, our our own diets, our own family's diets. Um, you know, we can't wait till society kind of catches up to the science because it's really a matter of life and death. Let me divert for one second here because you you mentioned how, you know, fruits and vegetables, yeah, they go bad if you're buying them. And and here we are. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, so we're getting into winter here. And the fruits are just not really in season. The ones that you can find, yeah. they don't look that great or they're more expensive. Is there value to, or I should say, is there a healthy aspect to buying, say, freeze-dried or even frozen fruits and vegetables? And so, sometimes frozen fruits and vegetables can actually be healthier mm. than fresh because they're picked and frozen the same day, where some of our so-called fresh produce has been on a ship for a week from New Zealand or something. Um, and so absolutely, you look at my freezers, half frozen berries, the healthiest fruits, half frozen greens, the healthy, healthiest vegetables. And look, they're pre-chopped, pre-washed, right? No waste. So perfect. Absolutely great way to add nutrition to any meal. Another message that we hear getting back on topic about aging, another message we hear is that a lot of it has to do with genetics. We're always talking about uh, what's your family history? How does that look? How much of genetics really plays into our our own aging? You know, Based on studies of identical twins, only about 25% mm. Of the difference in lifespan between people is determined by genetics. So really, we have control over the vast majority of uh, of our health destiny, and it's never too late to start eating healthier. Never too late to stop smoking. Never too late to start moving. We really do have the power. I don't know. There was a, uh, a Dennis Leary stand-up bit from back in the early '90s. I think the the it was called No Cure for Cancer, but he talks about smoking and how his doctor told him he should quit smoking because it takes seven years off your life or whatever the number was. And he's like, yeah, but it's the seven worst years of your life, right? And I, I keep going back to that sometimes because, look, I want to live as long as possible. I told you already, I want to experience life with my family, my daughter, hopefully her family as she gets older. But there is that aspect of like, we know towards the end, sometimes it's not always the greatest at the end. Right. You know? right. <laughs> It's not just about adding years to your life, but life to right. your years, right? That brings up this concept of health span, not just lifespan, um, which is your your years spent free right. of disease and disability, so you can really enjoy it. And thankfully, the same kind of diet and lifestyle approaches that improve our lifespan also improve our health span. Unfortunately, here in the United States, our lifespan, life expectancy peaked in 2014, started to go down such that we as Americans are raising the first generation of kids to live shorter lives than their parents, thanks to the obesity epidemic. And look, that was before COVID hit, mm. knocked about two years off our life expectancy. So, and even then, we, even though we were living longer up to 2014, we were living 
longer in sickness, not in health, fewer years of healthy life. Mm. So that's why, yeah, it's both important. And I cover both in the book. The life expectancy thing is wild to me because I, I just turned I'm 42 years old. And when I hit 40, that was my moment of like, okay, like I've hit middle age. Like I think 40 is mm. that number that a lot of people associate with middle age. But when you see that life expectancy come out and it's like 73 years for men, I'm like, wait, I hit middle age at 37. Like, I'm already past right. middle age. Like I'm already on right, the right. Back end? <laughs> right. Well, that is life expectancy at birth. But for example, if you make it to 50, your life expectancy is 80. Mm. If you make it to 60, your life expectancy is 82. Make it to 70, your life expectancy is 85. Um, and so there is some, some range there. But uh, how long we live can do not just by a few months, few years, but literally we have decade or decades on the table based on simple, basic common sense lifestyle behaviors. Uh, nothing has to be drastic. Just not smoking, not being obese, exercising, eating more fruits and vegetables can mean a decade of healthy life. Um, and look, it doesn't matter what you eat on your birthday, holidays, special occasions, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we really should try to eat the healthiest of healthy foods, which are these unprocessed plant foods. That's a good point to make too, because I, I just feel like a lot of people, when they hear things like you've got to eat fruits, you got to eat vegetables, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. They automatically only hear, I can never have a slice of cake again. Right. And that's right. not no, no. what we're saying exactly. here. <laughs> right. you, our bodies have a tremendous ability to bounce back from insult. And so, you know, uh, Dr. Dean Ornish's landmark lifestyle heart trial back in the 1990s, the first study to really prove you can reverse heart disease, number one killer of men and women, with, uh, you know, opening up arteries without drugs, without surgery, just this plant-based diet and lifestyle program. The average age was in the 60s. So he was taking people who had been eating these diets contributing to their heart disease for 60 years. And then all of a sudden, they started getting better within a matter of months. It shows how our body really wants to be healthy. You know, 15 years after stopping smoking, your lung cancer risk drops down to almost that of a lifelong non-smoker. Mm. Like, isn't that amazing? Your lungs can clear out all that tar. And eventually it's almost as if you never started smoking at all. And every morning of our smoking life, that healing process starts until wham, first cigarette of the day. Mm. Re-injuring our lungs with every puff, just like we can re-injure our arteries with every bite. When all we had to do all along, the miracle cure is just stop re-damaging ourselves. Stop stabbing ourselves with a fork three times a day and let our body's natural healing processes bring us back towards health. That's the other amazing thing is just the body in general. I mean, you're right. Your, your body wants to keep you healthy. Your body wants to be in good shape. It wants all of those things. It's us. It's, our, it's, it's the actions that we do that kind of send things down the wrong path. It's really the, the kind of the best kept secret in medicine is that our body will heal itself in many cases, but it's not going to do that if we keep re-injuring ourselves. You know, if you, you know, whack your shin on a coffee table or something, right, get all red, painful, swollen, inflamed, but we'll heal naturally if you just stand back and let your body work its magic, right? But what if you whacked your shin in the same place day after day or three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? I mean, it would never heal, Right. Uh, you go to your doctor, you'd be like, oh, my shin hurts. They'd be like, no problem. Whip out their pad, right? Prescription for painkillers, right? You're still whacking your shin three times a day. Still really hurts like heck, but oh, feels so much better with those pain pills on board. Thank heavens for modern medicine, right? 
uh, when all we had to do is really just stop injuring ourselves in the first place. One of the things that I think a lot of people face as a problem is when they decide to try to start making changes, they have a hard time sticking to the routine. Willpower is a really challenging thing. But the body even there wants to help you. Yeah, it works against you a little bit at the start. But then as you start to make that transition, the body actually wants to help you there. Yeah, no, no. Fantastic. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's really getting over that hump. So, you know, as soon as we stop deadening our palate with these hyper-sweet, hyper-fatty, hyper-salty foods that the processed food industry is throwing at us, then all of a sudden, normal, natural, healthy foods start tasting so much better. So, you know, the ripest peach in the world is going to taste sour after a bowl of Fruit Loops, right? But once you start cutting down on salt, sugar, fat, all of a sudden, normal, healthy foods, like, you know, you it's amazing. People don't believe me. But in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, eating something like, you know, corn on the cob, even without the butter, without the salt, tastes delicious. Like, it actually tastes good. And then all of a sudden, you're in the best of both worlds. Wait a second. Tastes great. And I get to live longer. That's what healthy eating is all about. For about a year, I went plant-based. It was just before the pandemic, kind of leading into the start of the pandemic. And that's kind of when I went off the rails because you're trapped at house at your house trying to do whatever you can <laughs> to get through that. But I, I remember that specifically the first couple of weeks, I was not fun to be around as I right. detoxed from all of the crap that I had been eating for so long. And once I got through that, I mean, it really was amazing. Like the things that I used to be like, oh, I could not eat tofu tonight. It started being delicious. I mean, it was fantastic. Right, right, yeah. And, I, and amazing. I had heard about things like these statements about how your body will adjust. And I never, you know, never believed it until I experienced it. I was like, this is so true. Right, right. And look, you don't know how good you're going to feel until you give it a try. And most of that study, most of that research is done on uh, on on reducing sodium intake. Mm. And you put people on a low salt diet and everything tastes like cardboard. And you're like, I don't care how long I live. There's no way I could live like this. But then that amazing thing has happened where originally the salt that you, the soup that you salted to taste eventually actually becomes too salty. Mm. You actually prefer lower salt soup. Um, the same thing happens when you cut out sugar and all these things. You just got to get over that hump. And so, yeah. Uh, and so that's how I kind of presented it to my patients is like, let's just try it. Like, give it a try, an experiment, right? Like a free sample. You know, let's just go all in for a few weeks. And then, you know, see how you feel. People have a hard time wrapping their heads around, like, you know, a lifetime of eating a certain way. No, no. Let's just try three weeks. And then the hope is within those three weeks, all of a sudden, they're feeling better, better digestion, better energy. They're sleeping better, less painful periods, whatever it is. All of a sudden, their own body is telling them how good they can feel on this diet. But you just don't know until you give it a try. And, of course, as a physician, I can take labs before and after and actually show the objective improvements. But their own body should be able to telling them. Um, and so then, yeah, yeah, it's a, we really should try to eat primarily plants, but not necessarily exclusively plants. I'll tell you the hardest thing about three years ago, I gave up caffeine and oh, I, yeah. I expected to have, you know, like a headache. You know, if you miss a cup of coffee yeah. one day, you get a little headache. Yeah, yeah. It was a week. I think there were three days. I probably slept the total of about two hours. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my yeah. bones ached like every, I never, and at that point yeah. I was like, I'm not just giving this up for a test. I will give it up for the rest of my life because I never want to experience this feeling again. Yeah, caffeine draw can be really, and can last for weeks. How long did it finally? Uh, it took me about a, about eight or nine days before. I mean, the, the worst yeah, of it was right. probably right in the middle, but I still had a little yeah. lingering headache for about eight or nine days. And then I was fine. And my energy level, another thing that you wouldn't expect, was the same without it as it was yeah. when I was pumping it through my veins all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. People underestimate how mm. uh, how uh, how addictive uh, how addictive that can be, and particularly those taking caffeine, you know, later in the day can really interfere mm. with sleep. Um, even if you don't recognize it, you can do these sleep studies where you do these the EEG studies and show that you have less restful sleep um, when you're um, when you're taking caffeine uh, in throughout the day. And so, uh, even if you don't necessarily know it's harming you, it may be particularly. Um, if you don't give yourself at least four hours to metabolize it before you go to bed. Something else I think people automatically associate with aging is pharmaceuticals, you know, drugs. Your doctor is going to prescribe you drugs. It's just what happens as you get older. We all saw our grandparents with those pill bottles for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You oh, know? my God. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know you talk about this in the book a bit, and, and that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. there are people that have illnesses that require pharmaceuticals. That is just something that happens. But the the things that we just sort of associate with, they don't all have to go that route. Yeah, I mean, but these are the reason that uh, they, we hear ads on TV for them all the time is that these are the, really the 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 kind of the 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 golden goose of, of big pharma is these lifestyle drugs, right? Because you know you don't make a lot of money selling someone antibiotics that saves their life if they just take it for ten days, right? What you want to do is produce a drug people have to take every single day for the rest of their lives, and so the blood sugar lowering drugs, the blood pressure lowering mm -hmm. drugs, the cholesterol lowering drugs. Um, and so, but all of them, but these are lifestyle diseases. And indeed, if you are not, if you're unwilling or unable to change your diet and lifestyle, these drugs can indeed be life-saving, but we can get those benefits and more only have positive side effects by treating the underlying cause of these conditions in the first place. Um, and uh, not needing to have to rely on these drugs the rest of our lives. I can't help but wonder how the sort of invention, if you will, of the new weight loss drugs is going to impact a lot of things moving forward. I know when you write a book, you tend to have it you know, submitted almost a year before it comes out. So I know Ozempic and drugs like that were around when you were probably doing the, the real hard work to put this book together. But I wonder in their popularity over the last six to 12 months, right. I wonder how that would shift some of the conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I view these drugs kind of like bariatric surgery, mm -hmm. uh, meaning it should be considered as a last resort sure. for those unwilling or unable to treat the cost of their obesity. You know, the problem is people to eat too much crap. So look, yeah. anything that get people to eat less crap is beneficial, right? Like the like you know artificially you know narrowing one's stomach or you know having drugs that suppress one's appetite. But you know, we don't need a thousand dollar drug to kind of decrap our diet, right? And uh, the drug mechanism, this uh, GL1P, this GLP1 agonist activity, can be replicated by both the consumption of thylakoids, which are basically dark green leafy vegetables, as well as high fiber foods like whole grains and legumes, which result in the production of these so called postbiotics like butyrate that have this GLP1 boosting effect without having to pay for or inject yourself with these drugs. Dr. Michael Greger, the book again is called How Not to Age, The Scientific Approach to Getting Healthier as You Get Older. I do want to talk about uh, the secret to, to I guess, anti-aging because we've been dancing around this. But I'm curious from your standpoint, as you were doing all of your research for this book, what is there one sort of underlying secret that you think you could throw out there? Well, you know, I certainly talk about specific foods that can help, you know, reduce wrinkles, grow hair, shrink prostates, cool hot flashes, on and on and on. But really the foundation um, is really take a step back is this overall diet and lifestyle. And one need to make drastic changes, even basic common sense behaviors can mean living, you know, a decade longer or shorter, not smoking, you know, uh, not being obese, regular exercise, more fruits and vegetables, 
And, you know, it's never too late to incorporate some of these things. We really do have the power. That's the, really the good news I want to leave people with. Yes, I get deep in the weeds with, you know, all the various little things you can do to tweak around the edges. But I just don't want people to lose sight or get intimidated. Really, it's the basic common sense stuff that really is, you know, 80% of the of the, uh, of the solution. Um, and then, you know, for people who want to optimize further, I'm all in favor. But, you know, it's like exercise. Like, any exercise is better than none. Yes, I can talk about all the data and, you know, show what the best exercise is and how long. But, you know, I don't want people to lose sight that even 4,400 steps a day, even walking 15 minutes, moderate intensity, you know, brisk walking a day associated with significantly longer lifespan. Any exercise better than none have all sorts of benefits. Um, and so, yeah, don't want people to be intimidated by the size of the book. And, you know, there's lots of really basic things we can do to get most of the way there. I'm glad you said that too about getting into the weeds because look, your book is fascinating. There is a ton of information in here that is all great information. But I wonder from your standpoint, is this the kind of book that you would suggest someone sits down and opens up and goes cover to cover? Or is this a yeah. book that you kind of dive in, you kind of look for the chapter or the part that's going to be more beneficial to you at that moment? Yeah, yeah, certainly not necessarily. You can jump around. That's how I wrote the book to be, you know, split up into sections. Mm. You know, you, yeah, you can go and read the, you know, really nerdy science stuff about the <laughs> aging pathways, or, you know, just go, you know, jump to the blue zones, talk about, you know, you know, what about, you know, go to the sleep chapter, go to the stress chapter, go to the weight control chapter, go to the, you know, exercise, go to, you know, and just find out, oh, the best beverages, the best foods, they, you know, and jump around or, you know, going through kind of, you know, preserving the various kind of organ systems within the body. You know, I talk about, you know, uh, you know, going, you know, bowels, bladder, mind, muscles, sex life, skin, vision, cognition, whatever it is that you're interested in preserving, just, you know, dive right into that. You have a family history, a particular, particular condition, whatever. And then kind of, you can use it as a reference book to kind of jump around whatever you're interested in. You are an insane wealth of knowledge. I've listened to you on other podcasts and the way that you are able to respond to questions, uh, very specific questions and rattle off information. It fascinates me. I wish I had a, a brain that worked <laughs> at the speed that yours does, but I'm curious, like, you know, all this information, you've been studying this for a very long time. What for you has been the hardest thing? I I'm sure you take a lot of your own research into your daily life. So I'm curious, what's the hardest thing for you to stay on top of? Oh, uh, well, for me, the lifestyle pillar that that uh, that I is 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 mostly, you know, do as I say, not as I do um, <laughs> is is really a sleep component. Yeah. You know, I find I'm just not as productive when I'm unconscious. And so, uh, you know, I feel this 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 burden on my shoulders, like I have all this knowledge that could help people. Um, and so I, I just want to get it out there as much as possible. And so. Um, but realize that certainly comes at the expense of do I am trying to work on that and doing better um, about uh, getting in more sleep because I realize and it's interesting there, there's a body of data to suggest that people are more cognitively compromised when they're sleep deprived than they realize. Mm -hmm. So even though you think like, hey, maybe, yeah, those other people got to sleep, you know. But, you know, me, I'm doing fine. But actually you put them to the test and they're actually not doing fine at all. Um, and so we underestimate how much um, uh, it can impair our ability to function, not to mention um, uh, uh, impairing our immunity. Sure. You know, they, we're, we're getting into flu season. And so I can't be running around on a book tour, you know, uh, traveling <laughs> to all these cities, you know, uh, you know, sh you know, shaking hands with 100 people 
and 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 you know and, and not you know come down with something if i'm not taking better care of myself so yeah it's it's, it's definitely something i'm working on i remember uh, hearing a story quite a while ago but it was talking about um college students and cramming for tests and they were saying you're better off just going to bed and getting a good night's sleep before a test right. than you are staying yeah. up all night long studying. Because even if you yeah. did put all that information in your head, your brain just is not working at the same speed as someone who got a full night of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely true. Yeah. In fact, compare people as much as, so a single all nighter, basically I forget what it puts your, your equivalent blood alcohol level mm. to, but it's like you'd be driving drunk. Like oh, yeah. you, it'd be illegal for you to drive with that kind of alcohol in your bloodstream. It's the same kind of impairment. Um, and so, yeah. So in terms of, you know, save you literally getting enough sleep could save your life on the road in terms of uh, avoiding vehicular accidents. And so, yeah, yeah, certainly uh, an important point, wear your seatbelts, <laughs> get enough sleep. There's lots of things we can do to uh, to improve our lives. Well, just to piggyback on that one last time here, I mean, I, I know we talked about food a lot in this conversation and food and what you put in your body is obviously a very key component to staying healthy and, and living long and healthy and happy. Uh, but when you are sleep deprived, you also tend to make more mistakes when it comes to eating. Your body it tends to, oh. I don't know if I would say your body wants to crave bad things, but I feel like when you're, you're you have poor judgment when you don't have the sleep component as well. Yeah, yeah. When we don't sleep, in fact, you can randomize people to sleep deprivation and put them in front of a buffet and actually watch what they eat. And people tend to not only eat more, but they tend to eat worse foods, mm. more sugary, fatty, fatty foods, concentrated in calories. Um, the same thing with stress. So stress is associated with premature mortality, but only, not independently, only mediated by these lifestyle factors. So huh. people who are stressed tend to eat worse more substance abuse, alcohol, tobacco, illicit drugs. But if you control for that, you actually, there's no difference um, uh, in, in longevity between people who are stressed or not stressed who maintain their lifestyle. Same thing with uh, social disconnection, loneliness, bereavement. It's only because that kind of isolation leads to a worse lifestyle. Does it indeed um, lead to increased mortality? So as long as we can maintain our lifestyle, um, uh, some of these other factors are less important. Well, Dr. Michael Greger, this has been a great conversation. I love the book. Again, it's called How Not to Age, The Scientific Approach to Getting Healthier as You Get Older. When I do finish this, I'm diving into How Not to Die next. I'm going to ah, finally great. check it off the list. Uh, but really appreciate your time. Is there a place people can go if they want to find out more about you or get some more information? Absolutely. Then go to nutritionfacts.org where all my stuff is up free and they can find the book at their local public library. And uh, I don't get a penny from any of my books. All the proceeds I receive from the sales of my books go directly to charity. I just want I everyone to enjoy the longest, healthiest life. Can I tell you, that makes me believe you a hundred times more. Not that I questioned your science, but knowing that you're not keeping the money, it makes me believe you a whole lot more. Happy to help. Keep up the good work. All right. Take care, sir. Big thank you to Dr. Greger for his time. His latest book, again, is called How Not to Age, The Scientific Approach to Getting Healthier as You Get Older. This book is available now wherever you get your books. And again, just a huge thank you to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen and to share some time with me. Feel free to follow the show on Instagram. I'm at Adult Education Podcast. Also, episodes on the show should be uploaded now to YouTube if that's a better place for you to listen or to check it out. It's still an audio medium, but you can definitely listen there on YouTube as well. So until next week, be well. 